0: Welcome to Kindred Media, a nonprofit initiative of Kindred World. Kindred has gathered thought leaders, researchers, and activists exploring the new story of the human family for over 15 years. Visit our website for our new story features, interviews, podcasts, and video collections at www.kindredmedia.org. Welcome to Kindred. This is Lisa Reagan. And today I'm delighted to talk with Kelly Windorf about her two decades of indigenous worldview allyship captured in her latest book, Flying Lead Change, and shared on her teaching ranch in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Kelly has lived and worked around the world, studying with many spiritual teachers and indigenous leaders in Africa, India, Indonesia, and Australia. Her early work inspired her to found kindred to answer the question, How do we live a sustainable and peaceful life? This is a question we still aspire to answer here at Kindred. Welcome, Kelly. Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) One of my most favorite beloved people on the planet is here. I am so thrilled. And we have so much to get through, and this is going to be so much fun. It's going to be a total romp, but <laughs> <laughs> let's start with um, your the title of your new book, because I'd like for people to understand the title, Flying Lead Change, uh, and then we're going to dive right into some really wonderful stories uh, that you yeah. have in the book.
1: Great. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, you can already tell by the laughter that Lisa and I get into lots of trouble together, so I'm delighted to be here and really looking forward to our time together. Um, so yeah, the title of the book is uh, Flying Lead Change, 56 Million Years of Wisdom for Leading and Living, and um, I came up with the title, it's a play on words really, there's an equestrian term um, uh, that's called Flying Lead Change, and the book, you know, does bring into, um into account all of the wisdom that's available through nature-based principles and uh, very strongly follows a thread of the nature-based principles through the system of the horse herd. So um, that's not everything in the book, but certainly is a real strong theme within it. And um, uh, horses are such a great conduit for experiential awareness on um how to be in the world and how to thrive and how to be in alignment with oneself and be connected to other things and and other living things. And so um, flying lead change is a term. It's a high, it's a high, uh, a gymnastic move that happens with a horse that um, when the topography changes under his feet and he's at his fastest gait, which would be a gallop or a lope. When that topography under his feet shifts for some reason, then his entire balance has to shift as well in order to handle the mass and the the, uh, strength and um, and the levity of that kind of pace. And so he does what's called a flying lead change. And to execute a flying lead change, he has to be uh, very present in the moment to know that the topography is changing. And then he has to kind of spring from his, his whole body and spring up in the air and then change balance from his one side of his body to the other side. And it's this kind of physics-defying feat that happens in midair. And, and instantly he goes from leaning on one side of his body to relying on another side of his body at this extraordinary pace. And I thought it was a great metaphor for what I feel is um, so essential for us um, as a civilization, that our topography is radically changing and we cannot just keep galloping forward in the same you know, um, kind of lopsided way of going. And what's required is a kind of physics defying maneuver that requires us to Um, kind of bounce forward, to speak about it in evolutionary terms, uh, and bounce forward, but also change, have a fundamental shift in our balance from right to left, um, you know, from up to down. So it kind of just, you know, from left brain to right brain, right brain to left brain. So it was just a really handy metaphor um, for what the book is really about, which is what is that shift we have to make? Because we can't, you know, we can't change the world inside the distortion that it already finds itself. If we try to change things within the distortion of disconnection, and we'll go into that later, but we're just gonna create more distortion and more dis- disconnection. So we we need a kind of quantum level shift, a complete change in the human heart. That we solve our problems differently, and um, and that we rely on a kind of physics that's not linear, that's not necessarily rational, but is wisdom informed and is very powerful and does have some scientific evidence behind it. So the flying lead change, this is what we're this is what you know the invitation is, in my opinion, to to make such a leap um, as a as a species.
0: So you brought up the word wisdom, and I always associate that word with you, Kelly. (laughs) I I met you almost 20 years ago. Um, You were a wisdom teacher then, and you seem to just really be getting started even. Um, So can you tell us about your time then? You're in Santa Fe now, but I'd like to talk about Um, both the the beginnings of Kindred when you were in Byron Bay, because that's connected to this uh, Canyini diagram here in the book. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna talk about this diagram and we're going to have the diagram wherever you find the uh, interview. Just click on the link if you're um, on iTunes and it will take you to the transcript and you can see this amazing care uh, diagram that we're going to talk about in just a moment. Mm -hmm. But let's start with being in Byron Bay in Australia.
1: Yeah, Byron Bay, Australia, real kind of counterculture community, Um, lots of expats from all over the world, Um, you know, kind of a groovy town. Um, And I was a single mom with two small children needed to put food on the table. And that was really the founding of Kindred. Um, I figured if I could stay home and solve the problem of of parenthood (laughs) via a magazine, I could serve two things at once. I could take care of my kids well, learn how to take care of my kids well, and, um, you know, stay close to home so I could be near them. Um, And and Kindred was founded, you know, on the premise, uh, not on a mission statement, um, like so many organizations. Kindred is founded on a question and the question was how do we create a just and sustainable society and um, as you've learned being you know it's venerable leader that to answer questions you know uh, honestly one has to put aside one's biases and you know and the biases of the readership and the biases of the advertisers and it's quite a rigorous um it's quite a rigorous standard to uphold that you will Seek and endeavor to answer that question. And very many times, you know, the answers to that question contradict themselves. Um, and that's life. And so, in a way, just editing Kindred and publishing it was in itself a spiritual journey. And I imagine you experienced the same thing because it really, um, boy, it really put me through boot camp in so many ways. But on that journey, I had written uh, an editorial in Kindred about belonging and um, was asked by an editor if I would um, uh, write and edit a a book that had a a compilation of stories on belonging. And very long story short, um, had a a real intense personal crisis. And um, that led me to... um, uh, an introduction to a man named Uncle Bob Randall. And uncle is a a respectful term used for um, Indigenous elders in Australia. Mm -hmm. And Uncle Bob was the listed custodial elder for the big red rock in the center of Australia called Uluru. So uh, I, I had the privilege of spending many, many, many days and um, hours with Uncle Bob, um, who very generously um, just downloaded a lot of information. When I first called him, he didn't know I was going to call him. I just called him on the fly and and he picked up the phone and he said, I've been waiting for you to call. And that kind of blew my hair back a little bit. And I was a white girl. I hadn't had much (laughs) connection with the indigenous um, Australians. Um, there's a lot of segregation there. And um, and he just felt it incumbent upon him. He felt like his a lot of his people were too broken and traumatized to receive a lot of the wisdom that needed to be passed on. And so he he asked if I would be the person to whom he would say all these things and share all these things. So it was really special because I would, basically just put my, you know, microphone in front of him, sit on the floor and let it rip for hours and then spend days and days after that, going through the transcription and and going back over it with him and really diving deep into what the teachings meant, what, you know, what he meant, by the term canini, which we'll talk about in a second, and you know what he meant by um, the dreaming, what is the dreaming, um, and all these other kind of important pieces of information, which really centered on our birthright to be connected to the whole, our birthright to um to be a part of the natural world as brothers and sisters to the natural world, and our birthright to feel a deep sense of safety and belonging um that we're not alone in the universe that we're not separate that there is a greater life force that does take care of us and this was his big message so um a lot of the uh, flying lead change has stories of my time with uncle bob and his sharing of these different wisdom principles of our birthright and who we really are as beings and um And the book seeks to kind of break the trance of separation that is so inherent to our modern culture today.
0: Speaking of trance, I'm totally in trance. (laughs) (laughs) You (laughs) stopped.
1: So, well, you know, (laughs) let's go on to Canini. Let me. Yes,
0: let's go on to the to the uh, diagram. I am where
1: my mouth is. Apparently, I could just keep going on and
0: on. Yeah, no, uh, it's (laughs) wonderful to hear these stories. It is, but this diagram is an amazing. So, across the page from the diagram, which is on page fifty-two of the book, just in case you have it in front of you, um, if you're a diehard Kelly fan like I am, there's this quote that says, "Care leverages authority to challenge others." without care, challenge is destructive, yet without challenge, care is powerless. And you get to see that in this diagram. Yeah,
1: well, I'll back up for a second. So, um, Kanyini is a word that Uncle Bob taught me and it's an Aboriginal word that basically means unconditional love with responsibility. Or as he may say it, unconditional love and belonging with responsibility. So there's these two wings of a bird of this unconditional love connection and belonging to the whole. And because we belong to the whole, our responsibility to all living things, to be the best people, the best um, allies, the best guardians that we can be. In the horse herd, the horse herd is governed by seven basic principles. And a lot's written about equine behavioral sciences, but not a lot is written about the equine culture. And I've been um, hanging out with horse herds since I was four years old, and and watched um, watched them a lot. And even though what I'm about to say isn't really conventional knowledge, I think it's pretty solid. Um, the horse herd is is centered on five essential tenets: safety, connection peace, freedom, joy, those five. The lead horse is the one who can keep those five intact. So they're not the mightiest, they're not the meanest, they're not the strongest, they're usually not the stallion, um, which you know is just kind of a, a wife's tale or a husband's tale. Um, uh, it's usually the horse who's the most present and the most caring. So leadership from a 56 million year old point of view is the one who's the most caring and the most present. So then that brings into question like, well, then what is care, you know, from a 56 million year old point of view? And 56 million years, I mean, that means that they've survived through tectonic shifts and climate spikes and pandemics and, um, you know, all kinds of different global challenges. And they've still, continue to thrive today they're the oldest most successful mammal on the world one of the most uh most successful in the world i think the platypus have it, have them beat by 100 million years but um so what is care and care is not kind of this you know what we've so often thought of as a kind of soft skill care is very fierce um care is um the capacity to um, have boundaries, uh, throw out the badly behaving horses, um, uh, ensure that the care of one does not overshadow the care of the whole, um, very cooperative, collaborative. And so this diagram that you're referring to, which I call the canyini care diagram, basically goes through four quadrants. Um, the, um, the vertical line. There's a vertical line, um, kind of north to south, it represents the. Um, and you'll have to help me here, Lisa, because it's not in front of me. That is the um, connection and disconnection. Am I right? Is that north up down? Oh, there we are. And my glasses. <laughs> oh, <okay.
0: laughs> Thank you this trying to show, I try to, just in case you're listening to this, I'm trying to show her in our, in our Zoom call. Here it is, here's your cheat <laughs> sheet. The
1: vertical line is, um, care is at the top, don't care is at the bottom, yeah. and the horizontal left-right is, um, yeah. is connection and disconnection, right? Am I correct there? Challenge,
0: don't challenge.
1: Challenge, don't challenge. Care and don't care, challenge and don't challenge. And so what you find is like, let's start in the, you know, lower- uh, right-hand quadrant where you 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 may be capable of challenging, but you've disconnected yourself in some way. You don't care anymore. You know, either you've hardened yourself because you've had enough or really you just don't care. We see that a lot in the corporate sector and lots of large organizations. And so that's the quadrant where people are very uh, unkind, very kind of damaging, um, a lot of verbal abuse, um, a lot of kind of... Um, angry outbursts or manipulation and, and that kind of thing. So that that's in that lower right-hand quadrant. If we go, we're moving clockwise, then the lower um, left-hand quadrant where you um, don't challenge and you also have disconnected. So that's the sort of mindset that withdraws, doesn't show up um doesn't really uh contribute or participate and it's useful to think of these in terms of mindsets instead of people Mm -hmm. um I certainly have seen myself in all four of these quadrants depending on circumstances sure Um, and and then there's the um upper left-hand quadrant which is where you've got, you know, you're riding up the care line, but you're still not challenging. So this is, you know, so the rescuer, the caretaker, the enabler, um, you know, you resist conflict. Um, I have a tendency to hang out there. I don't know about you, Lisa. But that's
0: that. <laughs> well, you know, in the course <laughs> of one day, Kelly, maybe we move through this whole thing. So.
1: <laughs> hand raised, hand raised. And then, um, and then there's that optimal place, that sweet spot, which is the uh, you know where there's care with challenge, care with candor, where the care enables a kind of uh, capacity to challenge others and hold other people accountable, and um, hold yourself accountable, um, challenge yourself. Right? It, it's also about care of yourself um, in a way that is. Um, more generative than destructive and what's interesting when you play with this diagram is i like to kind of find like what conditions are happening for me or to me externally that might bump me into one of those quadrants sometimes sometimes it's about a shortcoming that i might have in in that you know i just have a a habit to caretake but sometimes i'm with an individual who is not ready to meet me in that care chenini quadrant they're just not and if i try to kind of you know beat my head against them in that in that place i might just find myself thrown into another one of those quadrants so it's just really useful to to look at that um both for yourself and for the relationships you're in and for the sorts of um relationships you want to create for yourself
0: Well when you when you started to describe this you said you know in our culture care is thought of as some sort of sentimental or low-level skill you know, maybe even dangerous because oh gosh you're vulnerable if you care but what I feel and perceive going around this circle is, You've redefined because you're balancing care and challenge here in this quadrants. Uh, you I, I feel the strength necessary to yeah. care, right. And the strength okay. necessary to challenge and care, as you said, move over into this top right quadrant. Um, mm-hmm. it it really uh, re i think it reorients the word care. It uh, does reorient the word care yeah.
1: absolutely. and in a in an a. Um, You know, a largely patriarchal culture, um, you know, so called soft skills like care are a little bit or very much dismissed. But if you look at the really, really good leaders in the world, the the ones that are really having uh, sort of changing the game, moving the needle, you're going to find that um, some of them are especially powerful because they care so much. They care for their vision, they care for their people, they care for uh, the the organization as a whole, they care for themselves. That's a big piece as well because, you know, you're an asset in that company. You can't just burn yourself out. Um, And if you look at, for example, the lead mayor um, in the herd, and it tends to be a mayor, um, she is Uh, profoundly caring, but not in a kind of busybody sort of way. She's not expending energy unnecessarily. She's sort of holding this grounded place of presence that other animals can kind of uh, resonate with. But boy, um, if she just so much as looks sideways, she can send the horses away (laughs) very quickly just by a tiny glance at her eye. And the reason for that is because you know, if they're not listening, she can be very fierce and she's fierce, not for her own, you know, egoic reasons, but she's fierce because the safety of the herd depends on it.
0: So yeah. with that said, I would love to hear the story of Brio and Artemis, because it seems like Brio had to work his way around this. Yeah. Yes,
1: he did. He had to work his way around the diagram. (laughs) Um, So well said, Lisa. (laughs) So Artemis is, and in the book there are some really wonderful stories. Artemis is our uh, alpha mare. She's um, she's the smallest horse, or the next smallest horse in the herd. Um, She's um, she's been in many herds in the ten years that I've owned her, and every time she's in a new herd, um, eventually she's delegated as leader so she's kind of that in spades so we um we had purchased a new member of the herd his name was brio he's a 17 17 hands two that's how you measure how tall a horse is which basically translate to i'm five foot eight his back is three inches above my head like he's enormous okay and he's handsome and beautiful and he had been raised with stallions you know a lot happens to to animals when they're domesticated that is a little bit you know not their natural way of doing things and horses are no exception. So he had not been raised in a herd. He had not been raised by mares. Um, he, 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 was probably separated from his mother very, very early. Um, and side note here, there are a lot of parallels here to human beings. You know, I can hear your mind going, Oh, no, I, I'm
0: absolutely oh, grateful for the horses. For sure, <laughs> <I say. laughs> so, you better look at them. <laughs> These are hear this. Just- This story, you describe Rio in the book as being raised in Hell's Hell's Kitchen with no mother, I think.
1: Yeah, Yeah, he had been raised by stallions, so that's like being raised by... by Hell's
0: Angels, actually, by a community of Hell's 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 Angels uh, with no mother.
1: Yeah, so he had never been taught how to behave. He had never been taught um, cooperative behavior. Um, He had never been taught right use of power. Um, because who teaches that in the horse herd are the mares the mares are the disciplinarians and they will throw out stallions who behave badly um, badly behaving stallions do not belong in the circle and that's a very dangerous place to be to be exiled because it means that you're apart from the herd and then you're vulnerable to being eaten so it's a, a very strong tool that the mare has anyway brio comes in he's like all loaded for bear and um you know, as I say in the book, he took over the city like Godzilla and he was all kind of very much power over very much, you know, not caring all challenge. Right. And, um, and he, um, boy, he just, you know, set about beating everybody up. Um, and you can't interfere in this process. You know, a 130 pound woman cannot get involved in, uh, you know, 1700 pounds of fierce, um, horse body so I watched it and I thought what is what is gonna happen here what how's this all gonna play out um you know they're confined in a paddock so you know Artemis can't run away and neither can anybody else how's this all gonna play out well Brio did have the upper hand and and he was you know air quotes leader Mm -hmm. for um for quite a few weeks and he was leader not by he didn't have anybody's loyalty he didn't have anybody's respect and he was all alone you know if he went and looked out in the paddock he was all alone in a corner somewhere because nobody liked being with him so they Mm -hmm. they did what he said but it came at enormous cost not only to brio but to the whole herd and the whole herd was quite kind of depressed and I was concerned. I thought, well, you know, is this the new, um, you know, the new, is this the new presidency? <laughs> you know, what are we
0: gonna do? <laughs> No parallels at all, but continue. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs>
1: and it was so fascinating because, and Artemis is only, you know, she's half his size. So, and, and it wasn't even in her value system, I'll put it that way, to beat him up or to fight him back right? Because remember, her whole thing is around safety, connection, peace, joy, and freedom through care and presence. So she's not going to be suddenly, you know, depart from those qualities in order to, you know, assume her leadership. So long story short, I go out to the paddock one day and suddenly I see Brio near the hay box and Artemis just looks at him because she was at the hay box too. And she looks at him, one look, just one look, and he just scurries off. And I thought, she's done it. And it happened subtly, like water on a stone, right? Like water on a stone that Artemis just held her, you know, I'm kind of putting my hands in a sort of like vertical line. She held her ground, maintaining her value system, maintaining her consciousness it took a long time it wasn't dramatic you know it wasn't like we see in the movies where dun da da you know and you know who was it <laughs> who was it in lord of the rings um Eowyn, you know i am no man and she took down the dark lord you know and one fell swoop it's not that was like
0: good. that that was, great.
1: <laughs> that was great yeah that was great <laughs> that's not how it happens <laughs> <laughs> but she stayed grounded in this principle of profound presence she was like a tuning fork right and the other horses were resonating with that too like a tuning fork and they they kind of stayed near her and pretty soon she just turned the tables but it happened in a very subtle way and i think there's a, a lesson in that for all of us that as we think about who do we want to be in the world to make change in the world is it through giant fell swoops Maybe, maybe, but there's something just as powerful, if not more powerful, by remaining true to your values. If you're not a violent person, then you don't need to smash windows at a protest, right? I mean, that's a kind of extreme example. Mm -hmm. Staying true to your values, staying grounded in the presence, trusting that you're in alignment with all of life, which she is, and letting it do its work. And it's less exhausting and she got it. Now Brio is found, you know, he's worked on his way around the,
0: oh, care the, the
1: little care diagram. And um, he is found a beautiful spot for himself. He is um, kind of a, a, a protector of like, we have a little donkey, he like stands near her and. Oh. Yeah, he takes care of her because he's almighty, you know, and um, we have a new little horse who's quite small, and he's buddies with her. So Artemis taking back leadership even served Brio because Brio found his right place, right? Um, So that's just such a great story, and I think about that all the time because um, there's a you know, for those of us like yourself, Lisa, that feel that we have so much we carry and so much we want to do for the world. And, um, and, and what do we do with these forces that are kind of brutish? Um, You know, do we do we spar with them? Or do we hold a higher ground? You know, and I think for me, Artemis teaches me a kind of dignity of holding a higher ground and just staying persistent with that.
0: Yes, and you know, I, I'm gonna be respectful of our time, even though I, I have so many questions uh, right now, but I do want to give you a moment to tell um, everyone, because we're talking about leadership and what mm-hmm. is happening at Equus. How How is this relating to leadership? Because you're training leaders in a yeah. very different way. There's a guy on the back of the book who is a Navy SEAL commander who yes. talks about his training in other places has never equaled what he found. At, uh, at Equus, and it was yeah. an ancient lesson manual for him for how to lead and live well in any century. That's mm-hmm. quite an endorsement from a Navy SEAL commander. What's yeah, yeah. going on at Equus?
1: <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> you know, there, there are a lot of tears. Yeah, mm. there are a lot of tears from uh, some pretty hard-edged individuals who have kind of surf to the end of their internet in a way, and they're looking for a different way because they're good-hearted people that have a sense that there's a different way. Um, so we do coaching and we do it online. We do classes and courses and we do that online, of course. But um, if people are so inspired, they come here to our campus where we have the herd of horses and we engage them with that very opinionated and gregarious herd. and um, what happens is, again, in the in the same spirit of how Artemis sort of put Brio in in his right place, but in the nicest way, right? She she didn't put him in his place in that finger wagging way. She put him in his right place. Mm-hmm. The herd puts people in their right place, and um, it's very powerful. There's a kind of transmission that happens. Um, people are often um, almost speechless. They I. It, words like um, I've come home for the first time Um, I finally see things I've never seen before Um, I always knew something like this was real and true meaning this meaning that there's a larger order in things that is beautiful and and benevolent and powerful and um, we have lots of yeah like lots of you know people um, kind of being very deeply touched and and moved in a way that their life does change, Um, but with a lot of compassion and sweetness, yeah.
0: Well, this has always been the challenge uh, for what we were talking about at Kindred, which is this worldview shifting. The worldview shifting is not in our heads. And we have a great um, chart on Kindred that was put together by Four Arrows. And one side is the you know dominator culture, Western thinking, and the other side is our indigenous, indigenous to the earth as Homo Homo sapiens um, thinking and orientations. And the path between these two worldviews is not more thinking. Exactly. What
1: What you here,
0: and Equus is remarkable, and we all need to you know her get on a bus and come on down. You know,
1: on that note, I want to say, and thank you for saying it that that way. That's right. The path from what I call the power over mindset mm-hmm. to the power with mindset, which is more indigenous, more um, indigenous, just simply meaning native to our belonging, right, um, mm-hmm. is not through our thinking, but is through our, our body, our feeling, our knowing, our, you know, um, that's the path. And you can come to Equus, yes, and... Um, I, I tell you, and I remember, and, and you're in this, the book, Lisa, about this moment you had in your garden where you, you said, you felt the, you said the universe, the, the song, the uni and you had that oneness experience with all of life with the bees and the plants and the sun and the soil and the creatures in the soil and the whole thing. And, <clears throat> you know, we, it's available to us with our pets, with our a little potted plant in our apartment with a tree in the in the in the backyard and so to just slow yourself down and and go and be with your family your tree brother or your rock sister or your dog and just feel and experience that belonging that you have with them and let that inform you Um, it'll it'll start to open up things for you for people all of us yeah
0: It's absolutely true. And I appreciate you uh, putting that part in the um, book. It is uh, from an article on Kindred Beyond Sustainability or Spiritual Composting. I think it's in both of those. Mm -hmm. um, That moment uh, when I moved here from a gated community right after (laughs) 9-11, looking for a sanctuary, looking for a place to create a sanctuary. I had all kinds of experiences of the falling away of ego structures and oneness. And, you know, it's telling somebody, maybe it was just that my microbiome shifted and allowed me to finally have that. I'm not really sure uh, how you could describe it, but uh, this piece in the book that you talk about with the labeling is so important uh, because so many, so many of us are going to nature now to, and trying to restore our nature connection with this uh, mindset of trying to label the tree and label what, what it is we're seeing instead of being in, in this presence way with uh, nature. Uh, yeah, we have exactly. A few minutes left, but I did want you to just to speak to a little bit to that, and then I'll ask you the big question.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just a, it's just another just invitation to go out into nature in you know your your neighborhood, whatever, and and resist the temptation to you know call it a tree or a rock or a a yard or a lawn, and instead just be let your beingness be with the beingness of the tree and and feel what that's like because even as you know nature lovers we can often just go into the forest as an outsider you know i'm a human i'm observing and enjoying nature well that's nice but there's something much deeper that awaits us and just so drop into the beingness of the creatures and the living organisms around you and see what happens
0: It's so beautiful, Kelly. Your book is so, so beautiful. I just cannot recommend it enough to people. The chapters are... Uh, readable they're sure they have um journal exercises and thoughts at the end for you to uh you know ponder and to really make take this book and make it your own practice Mm. and really that that crossing the you know on the on the chart we have at Kedrid the worldview chart from one to the other it's not thinking and I don't know I can't even describe to you how Kelly has done it in the book but she has taken us out of the thinking space and we're (laughs) we're crossing we're uh you know, a number of people I've talked to about the book have said, Oh my gosh, I think she did it. She did it, didn't she? She's moved us out of that thinking place into being present. So, thank you for this gift of a book. And here's the big question You know, at the end of your book, you talk about joy and you talk about grief. And we're coming out of hopefully a global pandemic and some really hard years uh, in America, politically and, and on every level. And we still don't know what's going to happen. Um, here. And it is hard not to be uh, grief stricken. It's hard not to be overwhelmed. Yeah. But you talk about in your chapter on joy, if we, if we numb out the grief, we numb out the joy. Yeah. Wondering the big question is, what do you think?
1: um, You're right. There's a lot, there's a lot to feel right now, you know, grief, Sadness, betrayal, resentment. Um, there's a lot going on. And earlier in the book, we talk about the importance of feeling all feelings as is because they're life force, they're energy. They may not necessarily be pleasant at times, but they're not dangerous. So, um, and what we find, and this is the reason that joy is at the end of the book, because when you're willing to embrace things as they are, hard, easy, good bad all the whole thing then the symptom that starts to arise is joy not joy like as in happiness joy has got a whole different kind of vibration to it joy culminates when you're willing to experience all things right and then a kind of a kind of joy can surface which is in a way almost a political act to sort of stand up and be in joy um in this kind of world we find ourselves in, but we can't, joy won't come if we selectively numb out, you know, the so-called hard feelings. So if you if you numb out grief, you're going to numb out joy. If you numb out anger, you're going to numb out joy. So, um, you know, that is kind of the invitation is to be brave enough to feel the sensations as is, and allow yourself to grieve and allow yourself to feel sad and, and, um, and angry if necessary, and um, allow that feeling to have its full half-life inside you. And, and you'll notice that joy starts to come as a byproduct. Yeah.
0: And in the context you provide in the book with evolution and what's there, and this greater context that's just waiting for us to experience it, um, it it's, a, it's a joy to read the book, and it's a joy to get to the ends of these chapters and have such incredible wisdom nuggets waiting for us to, to, to process and to go through what you, I just can't believe you were able to put, I've known you for 20 years, and I read this book, and I was like, you know, she's always been... <laughs> She's, she has been doggedly in pursuit of wisdom and figuring this thing out since I have known her, but I think she did it.
1: <laughs> Coming from you, Lisa, that means so much. Thank you so much. You, yes. did. you did it. You
0: did it. <laughs> well, this is the second half of our interview with Kelly Windorf. And the New York Times article has run that we were talking about earlier in this interview and we're we've been looking at it and digesting it in the last day or so and I hope you do get a chance to go over there and and read it Um, if you're listening to us now because there are some amazing testimonials in there of people who have come to Thunderbird uh, Ridge and have looked at and participated in this program Um, but honestly, Kelly, it looked like a little bit of a hit job uh, on indigenous wisdom by the New York Times. I suppose we shouldn't be surprised at that at all. They are Western journalists and their tactic is usually adversarial. But um, what do you think about that article?
1: Yeah, thank you, um, Lisa. And thank you for, you know, this opportunity to talk about about that piece. It, It came out online you know, a couple days ago or yesterday and um, is going to be out in print on Sunday. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, You know, it, uh, I think that this is, you know, it's interesting. The title of the piece is, you know, can we learn anything from horses? And I think what we've learned the most from this piece isn't, um, what we're learning from horses, but what we're learning about humanity right now. And, um, when, when, and this is, you know, this happens everywhere. We see this happen in journalism. We see it happen in research. Um, a, a person's bias when they go into exploring something very much shapes, the outcome of what they see. I mean, this is just the way it works in terms of even neuroscience, what we, what our bias shapes our world and our worldview. Um, and, and because they, uh, by admission, said that they were um, angling to investigate us. Um, and of course, they didn't disclose this to us a year ago when they started this story. They didn't, uh, disc- the New York Times Editors did not disclose that this was an investigative piece, and we were being investigated. Um, so uh, investigations come with them their own inherent bias, um, and we're a learning and discovery organization. Um, and people who engage with us engage with us to learn and discover and be curious. Um, investigative tactics don't aren't always open and curious and wanting to learn. They're more about um, very often proving the bias that they have. So um, and, and, and this is, you know we, there have been so much said about bias in the world right now and how that shapes our view and, and how bias shapes discussion and how we see each other and how we hold one another and um, how we respect one another and so through that bias you know the piece was so interesting it it um there were lots and lots of omissions uh strategic omissions there were extractions um there were false parallels drawn um, you know all kinds of things that you find and typically you find this kind of journalism in um what a tabloid. You know, <laughs> tabloids. Not, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think click,
0: click baby. Uh, there were, the comments in Twitter were, "Why is this on the New York Times?"
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. So you don't. You know, it wasn't true investigative journalism. Had it been, then you know, there would have been a lot of um, different, um, you know, facts that would have come into play. Um, and and so that was hard. Um, That was hard, and this is, you know, as Brene Brown says so much, you know, when you're in the arena of life, and you're getting your face muddy and dirty and bloodied, and you're really in the arena of life, like the way that Kindred is in the arena, and you are, Lisa, in the arena, um, they're just, this is what happens. There are a lot of people in the stadium and not many people in the arena. And so I am flattered that the New York Times felt like we were worth their time. Uh, We are, (laughs) Um, I am up for the, the, you know, I am up for this um, on behalf of my company, but also on behalf of what we stand for, which is about nature-based wisdom and indigenous wisdom. that informs a new way forward, that is more inclusive, more caring, more loving, uh, more worldview, um, more diverse, more tolerant. Um, And that's what we stand for. So if I need to stand in the arena and have some cheap shots pitched at Equus and at me and at Scott, then so be it. I'm, um, I am so confident and privileged to use that word very deliberately to open the door for people to live differently and listen differently and love themselves and love each other differently than, uh, than, uh, than I would um, gladly take this position of, of, of being in the arena in this way. So, um what was so interesting about the piece was the the photography was stunning. Mm-hmm. And photos tell, what is that saying? Ph- pictures tell a, th- a thousand words. Mm-hmm. So we had many thousands of words in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And the pictures really tell the true story um, uh, in terms of the joy and the kind of, ease and connection that the horses have. I'd say the piece that it didn't show um, and was omitted because we spent a lot of time talking about it uh, with the um, journalist is um, how we work with the traditional people of this area. Um, Two of our team members are um, Pueblo people. Um, They were there during the day of the photography shoot. And we have worked very hard to work with the traditional carers of the land here um, to make sure that this place is in integrity with with, um, their protocols and processes. Um, That was not in the story. Um, How through this year of COVID, we managed to keep everybody employed. Um, um, Many of these people are the breadwinners of their family, the traditional people, the Pueblo people are breadwinners of their family. If they lost their work with us, it would have been very devastating. So, um, you know, these kinds of stories weren't told. So, and as you say, it's kind of predictable because we are in a pervasive, uh, rational reductionist kind of worldview. And, and patriarchal um, kind of worldview. And when, when innovators come forward with a different narrative, as we know with kindred, then we can be susceptible to, or you know, um, we can be the lightning rods, you know, where um, that energy comes at us. That's okay. That's okay.
0: Well, it seems like it would be more acceptable now to attack the allies because indigenous peoples uh, are becoming more and more you know, off limits to attack. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I see that piece as well. And your entire 20 years of activism has been this allyship uh, that you were directly you know, granted uh, from, for example, Uncle, Uncle Bob in Australia. And that you have done this 20-year <laughs> trek of work that you've captured in your "Flying Lead Change" book here, and none of that is even given a nod, um, is interesting. I, I think a part of it is predictable Western journalism, you know, adversarial, rational, reductionist. Uh, but uh, you know, honestly, Kelly, in reading a lot of the um, the comments that were coming through, I, they weren't. Uh, as vicious as I thought they would be, and I could feel reading this hesitancy of, I think everybody knows by now. I, at some level, very deep, that this dominator culture, the Western disconnected worldview, its days over now. Uh it's not going to work for us and and you know the New York Times can continue to have its champions and conduct its investigations to debunk this worldview but I think it it will backfire because I think people know that the other one's had its day and Mm -hmm. we're done now that we have to find another way
1: yeah absolutely um And, you know, I think this is just a beautiful teaching moment for all of us. When I say teaching, I don't mean like finger-wagging kind of teaching, but like the kind of teaching that is a gift to receive because we are a part of a very large movement of of a better world. Um, And so the teaching for me is to... um, to really validate that this kind of attention is because we are starting to make waves and make a difference, Mm -hmm. Um, to keep calling in, you know, people who haven't yet seen how beautiful it can be to have a more inclusive worldview and keep calling them in rather than calling them out. As I've said before, Um, to keep, standing tall and shining forward and not, you know, really not tethering our self-esteem to the opinions of others, especially if they're not in the arena with us, just to borrow all of that from Brene Brown. Um, and, And also for me, it was really interesting to see like, wow. So anytime I'm reading the news or a journalistic piece, I really have to be very discerning what I'm reading because I'm probably not getting the whole story. And there's probably a whole lot of um, gaps here. And, you know, is this story just supporting my own bias, my own worldview? Um, and how is this story shaping my brain? And so it, it was just another um, lesson in um, how I can be. More resilient against polarizing forces, mm-hmm. and um, and really, no matter how ugly it gets out there, to stand in that, as Uncle Bob would tell me, that place of true north, which is, you know, outside those extreme polarities of right, wrong, good, bad, um, and uh, really standing connected to the earth. This is just, this, this New York Times piece, I'm so grateful for two things, how it's calling me to stand in that place, and the incredible photography and the horses just showing the world who they are and what's possible for all of us, and that's what I'm really grateful about.
0: It's true. It is true, and, and the testimonies again, and the piece from your uh, clients who have come out and then you know turned around and brought their entire companies and portions of their companies, and, and had you come on calls over the last year during COVID uh-huh. to help uh, their companies. Uh, those are powerful, and really, honestly, you know, it takes my own uh, inner critic <laughs> and cynicist to task because that's really systemic change. Yeah. That yeah, you To accomplish there, Kelly.
1: You and, know? Well, and wow. my hat's off to these kinds of clients. I can tell you for them as leaders to be inside these often concretized corporate environments and wield influence to bring their people to places that teach them different skills around leadership through nature. I mean they're the game changers inside those organizations and often you know face a lot of risk to do things differently and i'm so proud of them and i know these people and i know the the work they're trying to do they're trying to change the world through these enormous organizations that are um, have in the past you know wielded some maybe some sketchy results in the world but they realize that they have a place to make a change in a company that then can wield positive influence in the world so i'm so proud of these people i'm so proud of all of our clients they're just amazing individuals um and you know yes they're uh, in black and in black and white and full color it is <laughs> our white privilege right here's these people on the uh, in the photos who are white and are around horses and it and it really does um, it you know we have we are we have privilege as white people sadly presenting us through that lens what it what it ended up doing was undermining the indigenous message and the indigenous um teachings and work that we honor and uphold. So it actually turned against uh, those with less privilege. Um, And that makes me, that saddens me. Um, And um, that kind of wisdom, that nature-based ancient wisdom just really, really, it's so much more powerful than what the New York Times could ever add or take away, try to add or take away from that, so.
0: It's true. And I I do still feel that uh, many people, especially after the global pandemic have be, become, you know, very aware that the old world view, whatever it is, even if they don't have the language for it, and that is kindred's job. That is what we're doing here, mm-hmm. is it giving people language. We even have a new story glossary of terms that you can go to and find language, the new language for the new story. Uh, but I feel that people are definitely receptive to understanding what happened and what can we do different how is that done mm-hmm. so i deeply appreciate your leadership in that area and your bravery and i appreciate artemis <laughs> Again, the story well, isn't this great be funny.
1: To circle back to artemis was, and, yes. you, know, you and i were just talking about you know who do we want to be inside you know how do we want to just be inside this this moment um in face of um not only like, you know, um, uh, something like the New York Times article, but like anytime we're kind of um, feel the Brio in the room who um, would like to push things towards, uh, you know, a more um, dominant paradigm. And And Artemis just continues to invite us to stay the course and be that, that tuning fork of um, of right, you know, right being um, connected to all things, our heart wide open, and um, and dignified.
0: So, yes, that yeah. really a, 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 isn't that a defining piece of these worldviews? Is one the dominator is just really wanting to take your integrity, and the indigenous worldview knows that's not possible right
1: yeah yeah so here we are again you know
0: uh
1: doing doing what what we all must do together and and uh lisa i'm just so i'm i'm so grateful for what you're doing with kindred and who you are and all the the voices that you're liberating through that medium and um and we're all in this together and um and and yeah, it's a really, really powerful time to be alive. Tell us where we can find you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so kellywendorf.com is my personal website. Okay. Um, and uh, equusinspired.com, E-Q-U-U-S inspired.com. Equus is Latin for horse. So um, both websites, that'll you know lead you to my essays, my workshops and classes, um, a way to come here to Equus.
0: I also want to say for people who want to see the horses, you can follow Kelly like I do on Instagram. You can follow and see the horse. You can follow and see see Brio. Now that you know their stories and who they are, they are celebrities. You can watch the bird. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for everything you've done and you brought to Kindred. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Thank
1: you Lisa for all you're doing for, you know, on behalf of families in the world with Kindred. I don't know what I'd done without you. Thank you.